AL. Cool. And now we're reading. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the daughters and sons and children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who has subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the daughters and sons and children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Mary set out in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a Judean town. There she encountered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. From where does this visit come to me, that the mother of my sovereign comes to me? Look, as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting in my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of those things spoken to her by the Holy One. This one works. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. And I, uh, man, we're just having a day. It was going so well till I came up, wasn't it? Well, while we're fixing the Britney mic, and while and while our intrepid volunteers are running to gather supplies to clean up the water I just spilled. I would love to shout out our ASL interpreter, Sarah, who is back. And uh, I just have really missed, I've just really missed her presence, her gift um, in this space. I'm so grateful to have her back with us. I don't know a whole lot of ASL. I've learned about seven words that we've taught to uh, our 16-month-old daughter. But today when we were, you know, hearing about the, the kids area in the back, I was like, play, I know that one. So uh, very grateful to have that additional access point, accessibility point in our community. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, Cameron. <laughs> All right, let's see if my uh, other mic works. Are we on? Hey, look at that. If ever there was a moment to celebrate just how many people it takes to make this space run <laughs> seamlessly. And, and the beauty and uh, bummer is that when it, when it works well, when it um, goes seamlessly, we don't actually see all the people running around <laughs> fixing 
the things. So if ever you were uh, feeling like you didn't know if there was a way for you to contribute to this community, there are a thousand ways. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> there are a thousand ways to contribute to the running, to the support, to the success of this beloved and wild and experimental community. That's always been my fallback whenever things go weird. I'm like, it's an experiment, y'all. We're a work in progress. We're seeing what happens when we water the stage. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. All right, let's get into it. So today is week two of Advent, which is the season kind of leading up to Christmas. It's actually the beginning of the church calendar year. And even though kind of in our secular world, we celebrate the beginning of the year on January 1st, in sort of the Christian traditional calendar, the beginning of the year is now. And it doesn't begin with a bang or with fireworks. It begins in the dark with a promise the promise of what's to come, the light in the darkness that will not be overcome, the promise of Jesus coming in, breaking into the world, and bringing in new life. And we've decided to spend this year, or parts of this year at least, um, committed to reading the scriptures along with Will Gaffney, who is a, a black feminist, aka womanist, biblical scholar. She has compiled something she's called a women's lectionary for the whole church. Um, and it examines the scriptures in a very traditional way, a lectionary, which is assigned readings every Sunday, um, but through her own radical take on the Bible, explicitly with um, her experience as a black woman centered um, and leading the way. And so uh, we really believe here that who we read the Bible with and who speaks into our understanding of scriptures matters. And we want to take her prophetic lens and voice and interpretation with us this year. And so she talks about how this time of year, we get all of these texts that are about Mary or Elizabeth, but they are treated primarily as incubators. These women are treated as folks who are just there in order to shine a light on the men who are to come afterward. And it got me thinking about what an incubator is. We think about that in this very um, kind of technical, objectified sense, right? An incubator is something that plugs into the wall or whatever and holds heat for, for the real life that is to come. But interestingly, that is not how life and new life works in the cosmos. That's not what God is doing here. And it was a couple of months ago now, several actually, that I was talking to a good friend this woman is an artist and a creative. She has explored many different kinds of creativity and bringing new art, new beauty into the world. And she sounded so confident in this coming season in her life. And I was like, what's going on? She's like, you know what, Jonah? I, I know this might sound a little wild, but I am feeling so confident that God is bringing me into a season of prophecy and creativity, that I am preparing to bring incredible new things into the world. And she's right. Among many other of her artistic and creative endeavors, she became pregnant this summer and is now growing new life inside of her. God was demanding, or God was inviting her, excuse me, into a massive and demanding creative artistic project. And she has said yes. 
Now, I don't want to paint a picture of pregnancy that is overly glowy. This is one of the other ways that women are demeaned, both in Scripture and in the church, is if we reduce the Scriptures to, again, this very two-dimensional understanding of pregnancy. It also does a disservice to us as a whole, given that a minority of people who want to and do, given that it is only a minority of people who want to and do become pregnant in a literal way. And pregnancy is super complicated. And so when we talk about it in Advent and during other times, we want to give it the full breadth of its experience, the way that these women who were pregnant might have experienced it. Now, I was one of those minority of people who wanted to become pregnant and did two years ago during Advent. And it really changed how I thought about a lot of these scriptures. Parts of being pregnant were so difficult that it was really hard to appreciate what was beautiful about it. I was also very scared, scared of the pregnancy, scared of labor and birth, scared of parenting. And I had never been so attuned to the sacrificial nature of creativity. But that process set in motion a creative energy that continues to twirl and giggle and scream through this world. Her name is Micah. She's down the hall. You may see her later. And I was neither an inanimate incubator nor a god, but I was the momentary center of a creative life force breaking its way into the world the Holy Spirit tearing through what was, in that moment, literally tearing through my body to bring into being what could be. And while I was at the very center for a short time, I was surrounded by concentric circles of creative, prophetic, life-generating love. Cameron, most of all, closest to me, but also our families, bio and chosen, our friends, Zao, this radiating pool of love and creative energy, the things that made it possible for new life to emerge in the world. And of course, Micah herself, who was becoming the center of her own life and whose creative power will do things beyond my imagination. Now, physical birth is just one of infinite ways to be prophetically creative in bringing new life and hope into the world, to be an ancestor. As I was preparing to become a parent, I ended up on a lot of forums. I'm the kind of person who will research everything and get everyone's opinion, read every book. I like to take it all in. And one of the things that was concerning me most was how to identify myself as a parent. I didn't know my own name because the names of non-binary people and parents have been erased over and over across cultures and we have to find new ones. But I, I spoke with a lot of people, a lot of non-binary people who were also, like me, gestational parents. And it surprised me how many of them, non-binary, not identified as women, still chose the term mother or mom. Now, I am not a mother, and I am very clear on that. But it struck me how powerful the term mother is, how all-encompassing, how creative 
how attuned. And there were so many people saying, there is nothing that can quite capture my relationship to this person that I am bringing into the world quite like mother. Mother is an archetype, a myth. Mother is a power that we recognize. And in certain traditions, including certain Christian traditions, mother, Mary the mother, is one to whom we pray because that understanding of God's love as mothering, as nurturing, as creative and powerful cannot be articulated. We have not found another way to name it. And so I think that there is a reason that even in a tongue-in-cheek way, some folks identify as dog moms or mothers to even their plants, mothers to their creative processes, mothers to their projects, their hopes, their dreams. Because even though only a minority of people will be mothers in the technical sense, mothering is a holy and divine act to which we can all relate at some level. We have all done that creative work of partnering with new life as it breaks into the world. We all will do it, perhaps powerfully, in the course of our faith. And it can be thrilling. It can be exhilarating to bring new life into the world, to tap into the creative forces of God that inspire us, to allow us to create in the divine image of the creator who created us. But it can also be scary, overwhelming, exhausting, boring. You know, there are ways that we talk about the things that we are passionate about, and when we get into them, when we can really feel it moving through us, there is a kind of flow. But when we can't feel it moving and we still show up day after day to hope in what is to come, we call it a grind. And both of those are holy commitments, flow and grind, getting swept up in the creative promises of God and continuing to show up when it feels like drudgery. I have that same mix of feelings <laughs> during my early pregnancy, being so caught up in the fear and stress and nausea and uncertainty. Creation is a messy, bloody, painful process, and I wondered why. Like, why, God, is this the way things come into being? But though I never got an answer to that, I did feel validated by the scriptures that say, as we heard today, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We can feel the future to which God is calling us. There is a glory that comes and that promise, that promise comes along a creative path that involves those groans, those pains as part of the process. And so this letter uses birth as a metaphor for all of us and for God. This is what it means to be a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing, to be a part of new life and promises breaking into what is. The fear, the stress, the nausea, the uncertainty. And I felt this daily for a little while at the beginning of Zao. Where is God leading us? Who are we? Who am I to, 
even think this is possible? Am I screwing this whole thing up? Can I even do this? And yet, in those early days, there were times that I already look back at with awe and excitement. Such an honor to be a part of meeting so many of you, seeing what God was bringing into being in this place and across so many relationships. We are, as a community, a a statistical anomaly. Like, I don't even know how else to communicate that to you. We are unlikely. We are a statistical anomaly on, like, several axes. And yet, here we are, this unlikely community, this queer-informed community, this Jesus-following community, this Jesus-rooted, justice-centered, radically inclusive church that so many smart people told me was not possible without toning it down, (laughs) without tempering our creative dreams. And yet here we are in a new season, drawn into new and different uncertainties. And part of what gives us hope that we are possible, that God's promise is possible, is the dream of what's to come, the healing that we are promised, the healing that we experience day in, day out, the church that is promised to us, the coming kingdom. We are inspired by the future where Jesus' followers are radically inclusive, where the church reflects God's holy queerness and transness, where the world celebrates God's holy blackness and all BIPOC people, a world where prisons and police are abolished, where community transformation, joy, and creativity are the tools we use to heal our collective wounds. That drives us each day, whether we are flowing or grinding, is the promise of what's to come. But that can feel so far off sometimes. Nine months is an eternity when you are bent over the toilet vomiting for the third time before you leave for work. The kingdom can feel forever away from behind bars. And those wounds that we feel individually and collectively, they run so deep that we're finally starting to admit that those wounds are actually ancient. We're beginning to have powerful conversations about generational trauma. Wounds passed down from generation to generation, taking new forms, pain replicating itself. It feels like a never-ending cycle. And sometimes we think that we're new. (laughs) We think that these conversations we're having are new. And relative to our contemporary culture, it is. We are discovering things about trauma that have remained unspoken for so long. We're having conversations about epigenetics and the ways that wounds inflicted on people can reside in our bodies for generations. But the ancient world had a lot of wisdom about this too. Now they used a different language. They called it sin. And we've gotten so off track in our understanding of sin that it feels cruel to call it that, as though there is a level of blame on everyone. But sin in the understanding we hold here from scriptures as we, as we dwelled in for all of Lent this year, sin is just the naming of wounds. 
the tearing in the fabric of the universe, the, the fracture between loving relationships, anything that separates us from ourselves, from our loved ones, from God, that pulls apart this holy communion. It is a wound. It is a tear. It is called sin. And so when they, when they spoke and wrote in the ancient world of the sins of your parents and their parents, I believe they were talking about generational wounding. We think of this sometimes as a failure, a virus replicating itself in our system. But what if the path to wholeness, to knitting ourselves back together as creation, is entrusting the future generations to heal the things we couldn't yet heal? What if those wounds are handed down because they don't disappear and we're not willing to cut them off? Because we don't isolate or ignore or banish what is wound, wounded. We pass along the responsibility to heal. And this is where we get to the counterpart that the ancients were much more attuned to. Not just generational trauma, generational wounds, generational sin, but the generational promises granted by God. You know, there's a part of the scriptures that we have a tendency to really gloss over. It gets kind of boring and overwhelming to think about. It's all those begats. And so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. It's all of those promises about descendants and the great and glorious lines of certain tribes and families. It can feel like such drudgery but that's only because we are so removed from the power of those promises. Why do we tune that out? Those promises that your descendants, those to come, those who will have the freedom that you are dreaming of, will number the stars. The promises that the way that you are carving in the woods will create a path for those who are so numerous that there are more of them than there are grains of sand on the beach. That those to come will have a hope that you are beginning to dream of, and that hope will fuel them to dream beyond your imagination. That is the promise of these descendants. God is placing God's people in the broader context of all creation. God is naming a pre precise point in the creative project of eternity. God's asking us to step back and see, I made promises to those who came before you, that I fulfill in you, and I make promises to you that I will fulfill in your descendants. In that world, in that ancient world, literal genetic lineage was super important, and so that was what was emphasized. But even so, the scriptures were able to kind of sneak in and hold on to some wild variations. There are two genealogies of Jesus, and they disagree. And if what's important to you is to have literal facts, it can get a little messy. It was important that Jesus be traced back to King David for theological reasons. It was important that Jesus be traced back to Adam, the Adam, the first human beings, for theological reasons. It was also important in these lineages to name his connection to Ruth and the Moabites, an entirely different group of people with whom the Israelites were not supposed to mix. It was important to name the connection to Rahab, 
a sex worker, someone on the literal outskirts of her own community, marginalized in literal and metaphorical ways as part of Jesus' lineage. Now, in so many ways, these genealogies defy the logic of patrilineal genetic-based lineage and genealogy. This is not how it's supposed to work. And there are some people who will do the mental gymnastics to try and make it literal. But I'd rather say genetics are not the point here. That our ancestors and our descendants are those who are linked to us through God's creative work and promises. The promises made, the promises fulfilled. The invitations offered to God's people to be a part of something holy. And those who said yes, those were the ones who paved the way for Jesus. This is the promise of God. Our ancestors are those who made this world, who made us possible. And our descendants are those that we paved the way for. And these are the promises given to and celebrated by Mary and Elizabeth in the passage today. The promises that make the world possible for the next generation, including Jesus and John. And they fulfill the promises of those who came before. Elizabeth's greeting. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting in my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of those things spoken to her by the Holy One. Elizabeth's greeting echoes scriptures related to Deborah and Judith and Jael, incredible and complicated women of the scriptures that you may not have heard of. If you want something very interesting, I recommend starting with Jael. But Judith and Jael were sexually scandalous figures and marginalized and vulnerable figures, not unlike Mary, young and unwed and pregnant. And so when Elizabeth greets Mary with those same words, Gaffney writes that Elizabeth's words provide transgenerational support and comfort. Far from incubators, these women are creatives and prophets. They crack open the world as it is. They follow God into the dark, mysterious unknown. They pave the way for those to come, including John and Jesus and me and you and everything you are in the world, all the creative and transgressive and holy ways that you move in the world are possible because of the, of the yes offered by our, our ancestors, spiritual and otherwise, those who said yes to God's creative and holy project, those who broke themselves open to create a world of possibility that is more loving, more whole, more healing, more healed. And we too are invited to be a part of that to find those ways that our creative transgressions can break open the world as we are told it is possible to be, to create new possibilities, to dream beyond what is here, and to create a way for our descendants, for those to come, for those who could only be fully themselves because of the ways that we allowed ourselves to break open. 
this Advent, we are encouraged to take up that call, to hear that invitation. It is not just the wounds that are passed down to us to heal, but the courage, the power and creativity of Mary and Elizabeth, of Judith and Deborah and Jael, and with our permission, the Holy Spirit tears right through the heart of us to bring new life, new hope, new possibility into the world. And it is our joy, our honor, to flow into what comes. We follow them into the dark, and we trust that we are on the path to new life. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, we pray that you give us enough flow, enough hope, enough creative energy to continue on when it feels like a grind. God, we pray thanksgiving for our ancestors in so many ways, those who have come before us, those who have put themselves on the line, those who have broken open the possibilities, who have gone through the pains of labor and birth in order to be a part of your creative cosmos. God, we pray that we would be inspired, that their courage and hope would be passed down to us and through us, that we could be a part of a holy project of redemption, that we could be a good pathway for those to come. God, may you bless us as you blessed our ancestors, and may you bless our descendants as you bless us. May we follow you into the dark and into new life. Amen.